Thank you guys for showing up today, for joining us um, here in person as well as online. I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at Table Life Church. It's so great to see so many smiling faces. And I imagine online you guys are smiling too, at least maybe on that second or third cup of coffee. After that, you could be smiling a whole lot. But anyway, we are glad that you're here with us. And it's always a great time to gather in the house of the Lord today. Um, so we are in this series. Um, this is our second week in this series that we call Brain Games, and we're talking about this kind of taboo subject often in church life about mental health and faith and kind of the intersection of those two. And um, the title of today's message is you got a worship guide. Hopefully you got one on your way in. If you're online, they're also on our website. You can go ahead and look at that, print, print it out. But the title is When Anxiety Attacks. When Anxiety Attacks. We're going to be talking about what today? Anxiety. Right? Okay, so question for you as we kind of kick off today, and this is like a little interactive part, so all the extroverts are like, yay, all the introverts are like, ugh, right? Okay, I'm going to have you talk to somebody. This is not like a like sharing of your life story kind of talk, but I want to ask you this question. What is your go-to method of relaxing when you are feeling stressed or anxious? What is your go-to when you're feeling stressed or anxious? And I want you to turn to somebody near you and to share that. If there's not somebody like right near, then maybe just like shimmy over for a couple minutes here. So we'll just give you like 30 seconds a piece to share. Buddy up. So ready, set, go. Okay, okay, so, so, and those of you guys online, feel free to type that in the chat um, if you would like to reveal what your go-to method. Maybe you're helping somebody, right? You're like giving an idea. So, um, so, so just a couple, I just want to take a little bit of a survey. What are some things that you all said? Um, exercise, yeah, working out, exercise, go for a run or go lifting or whatever. Some people are like, no, I just don't like that. That's like, the, that causes anxiety, right? That kind of thing, whatever. Opposite, go to food, right? The foodies, right? What, what, chocolate? Ice cream, okay, yeah, I know. It's, the, yep, anxiety, like, like that, like the pints, what? They're one serving, right? You can just eat one of those things. Anybody else? Prayer, okay, prayer. So thank you. We're gonna get to that in a second, Frank. Yes, thank you for, for, for doing that. Any, any other responses? What? A nap, a holy nap. Yes, right? You wake up from it, all your worries are away, right? Not, not really, but anyway, sometimes it does help, honestly. So, um, but anyway, I, you know, at some, point, at some point, we've all experienced anxiety, um, and, and we, whether we felt fearful, unsure of a situation, unsure of what's going on, um, doubting ourselves, um, but I just want to give you a little definition here. Anxiety is defined... Um, depending on the dictionary you kind of look at, but to find as feelings of fear, dread, and uneasiness that may occur as a reaction to stress. So feelings of fear, dread, and uneasiness that may occur as a reaction to stress. And, um, and so if you've ever uh, felt anxious, all of us have at some point, 
Um, maybe you've, you've met with other, uh, maybe you met with like some other Christians or maybe you're part of a small group or something and maybe you've shared that at some point. And, um, and often well-meaning people tend to throw back a very famous verse from Philippians or a couple of verses from Philippians chapter 4 and tell you this. I want us to read this together. Ready? Nice and strong here. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, right? Amen to that. So in other words, maybe somebody well-meaning told you when you shared like you're a little bit nervous about this, or you're feeling anxious. In other words, give it to God. Or in other words, you shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way. Like it's bad. Right? It's bad to feel that way. And if that's ever happened to you, maybe it got you a little bit angry or maybe just felt dismissed. Um, or maybe you just kind of shut down, right? Those kinds of sharing feelings. Um, and, and the thing is, like, I don't know right now what's going on in your world, what kind of cares or anxieties you might have. Um, but I would guess there's probably more than one. There's probably more than one that each person here, uh, maybe some of us are carrying a whole lot um, and, and plus, not on top of that, on top of kind of personal anxieties in your own life, um, you know, all you have to do is like open your phone or go to like your favorite news app or whatever, and basically you see two things. You see, first, the whole world is falling apart, and second of all, nobody likes each other. That sums up the news. I just gave you the news for the day. But, but basically, you know, you think about those things, and that can cause anxiety as well. Um, but if you've ever battled anxiety and you, you felt like there's plenty to be anxious about, which there is, you're not alone. You're not alone. And actually, a study done back in 2019, so this is pre-pandemic, um, showed this, that two out of three Americans said they were anxious or extremely anxious. Anxious or extremely anxious. And then since the pandemic, so kind of a follow-up study, Seven to eight, probably like 7.5, and there's like not really half a person, but 7.5 out of 10 um, people experience anxiety, um, that the anxiety has gotten worse, especially for younger generations. So going from two out of three to like seven or eight out of 10. Um, and, and one study that was recently done showed that, this is a little bit scary, 91% of high school and college students report a consistent level of anxiety. High school and college students especially. So today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this. And, and I first want to acknowledge, just like I did last week, that this is an incredibly complex subject. And I am not a therapist or uh, um, I don't have a PhD in this. I'm a pastor. So we're going to be kind of talking about this from a spiritual standpoint. And, um, and the thing is, when it comes to anxiety, um, I, I think it's good for us to kind of figure out kind of where we are and what I want to call like the anxiety spectrum, the spectrum of anxiety. Because like I said, we all experience this in some way. I experience this. But we're at different kind of places on that spectrum. Um, like, you know, starting down to kind of like the green area, once again, it doesn't mean it's less serious. It's kind of like that occasional uneasiness or occasional worry, situational fear, discomfort, um, often situational 
Like something happens and then you kind of have anxiety, but then then what situation kind of disappears or or transpires and that that kind of decreases. Maybe it's a test that you're having upcoming, whether uh, if you're taking classes or like like a health um, uh, concern. Um, It could be maybe an awkward social situation coming up, a party you got to go to, a meeting you have to have, those kinds of things. It could also be that person, you have one in your life, who texts you, and you see the bubbles appear on your phone, and then they go away. And then you stare at your phone, and the bubbles go up, and then they go away, and no message ever appears. You know who you are. But that causes anxiety, right? That, that, it, there's anxiety that comes to the surface. And so for some of us, it, it's called like minor anxiety. It, it goes away, kind of comes and goes. It's manageable. Um, but for others, on that other end of the spectrum, um, anxiety can be really crushing or debilitating, paralyzing. That kind of uh, sense of dread, uh, it causes physical symptoms, like, like heaviness in your chest, like shortness of breath, um, maybe like to crying to the point like you can't stop or even shaking or feeling paralyzed, you know. Uh, and, and so wherever you are on this, you know, maybe you're somewhere in between there, if you would like put, put a little dot there, um, you know, that, that we have to realize first and foremost that God cares, God knows, and God wants to help. God wants to help. God wants us also to get help. Sometimes God works through other people and through doctors and uh, psychiatrists and therapists and all those types of things. And so um, I want us to get ready to dive into scripture and really what I think is a powerful example of a godly leader who dealt with and handled anxiety. A godly leader with anxiety. And um, this, the story we're going to look at today is from the Old Testament scriptures. So before Jesus, like hundreds of hundreds of years before Jesus, in the book of that you probably love is this book, Second Chronicles, right? Is that anybody's favorite, right? Next to Leviticus, right? You're going to, anyway, Second Chronicles, a book that often if you're in like a Bible reading plan, you kind of like zoom over and there's all these names and kings and people. Well, we're going to unpack a story from there in Second Chronicles chapter 20. And, and this is a part in ancient Israel and in ancient Israel's history um, we're basically like in the ancient world um, that there were good kings. There was a list of good kings and a list of not so good kings. They're good kings, just like any world leader or leader of a nation. There's good kings and not so good kings. Um, but today we're going to look at one who was especially good, one of the good guys. Um, and this is uh, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat. And his, um, he was basically the fourth king of uh, the nation of Judah. So after King David, just a little history here, the kingdom of Israel split into two, northern Israel, southern Judah. So there were two kingdoms. The southern kingdom was Judah. And, um, and he kind of ruled from 873 B.C. to 849 B.C. So um, a pretty significant time there. And Jehoshaphat was a a godly king, he was faithful, he was good, he served well. Um, But then there's this time in this story where as he's serving, as he's leading, suddenly a group of people attack his kingdom, attack his kingdom. And they're called the Moabites, the Moabites. And it's interesting, you can kind of track the Moabites and different people that are involved with that. And actually, there's one of them that's significant in the genealogy of Jesus, believe it or not, which is kind of crazy. But there's these people who were the enemies of the ancient, uh, ancient kingdom of, of Judah, and they were the Moabites, and then they were attacking. And you imagine that would cause some anxiety, right? Um, well, guess what? Pretty soon, it wasn't just the Moabites, but there was a second group that started to attack the nation. 
And, and they were called the Ammonites, the Ammonites. And guess what? Not just soon after that, there's another group. These are all isolated. They're like, it's not like they were in cahoots with one another. But there was another group, um, and they're, they're called the Muenites, the Muenites. So imagine, uh, uh, you know, there's these groups. And then worst of all, worst of all, you know what came next? The mosquito bites. Okay. Okay, that's a joke. But isn't that true? Like, just... Squirrel, side note, like, aren't, like, mosquitoes are always attacking. Like, some of us, they, like, attack like crazy. And you're like, why did God create the mosquito, right? Anyway, we're going to answer that another day. We'll come back to that. But, but the reality was there were three enemy groups that were attacking Judah. There were three enemy groups that were coming and teaming to attack Judah at the same time. And I think this kind of illustrates a common reason why, what, what kind of, why anxiety arises in our lives today is, isn't it true that we can handle one problem, one opponent, right? A difficult boss, a car breakdown, you know, a kid getting sick, whatever it is. But, but when you add to that the second thing, the big medical bill, the angry family member, the donuts in the break room on the day you started your diet, uh, the bad weather, the air conditioning going out, the electricity going out, this breaking, this person's mad at you. Uh, you know, when it's kind of like those things come in threes, it becomes difficult to handle. It's like the perfect storm. It's not just one thing, but it's multiple things. And, and so, and to make matters worse, often in our situations, you know, you have, going back to that Philippians verse, you have often pe- well-meaning people that kind of throw it in your face to say, well, if you follow Jesus, but you shouldn't be anxious, even though it feels like the world is tumbling down and you have all these things on your shoulders. And then you wind up feeling guilty and you can't talk about it, right? But I think what we have to realize here, both for Jehoshaphat and for his situation as well as for ours, first and foremost is that anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety is not a sin. And one of the ways that we know this is because in the Gospels, once again, fast forward to Jesus. We have Jesus on the night before he dies. He's anxious in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's showing symptoms of anxiety. He's actually sweating blood to the point, begging God, is there any other way than going to the cross? He cries out in agony, and and, and he really gives us a picture of the true 100% human side of Jesus. True humanity right there, because Jesus gets it, gets it. Uh, To be 100% God, 100% human, but he understands the human side, the anxiety that comes with life. See, anxiety isn't a sin. It's actually a symptom or a signal. It's not a sin. It's a symptom or a signal. I mean, think of it like this. Have you ever been driving and you're driving along and one of those little lights on the little red lights on the dash comes up as you're driving? Or maybe you start the car. Some of you have been driving for weeks and you need to get that checked out. But anyway, uh, what does that mean? What does that mean? There's something wrong with the car. There's something wrong with the car, right? It's not Christmas. It's not the red and green flashing lights. There's something wrong with the car. But imagine this. The car didn't do anything. The car didn't do anything wrong. It's a sign of an issue that has to be discovered and has to be fixed. And that's why you go to a trusted mechanic, right? So it's not going to rip you off, but somebody that you can trust that can diagnose what's going on under the hood. And so same thing with us, that anxiety isn't sin. It's not sin. It's a signal that's alerting you. 
It's alerting you of something going on under the hood. And, and I think it's, it's a sign or it's a signal of a, of a couple of things. And we're going to walk through three of them in Jehoshaphat's story here. At first, that it's time to pray. This goes back to Frank's ding, ding, ding answer just a little bit earlier. First, that it's indication that it is time to pray. Start feeling anxious. It is time to pray. What Jehoshaphat did. So look, starting in verse 3, we hear that Jehoshaphat, he was terrified by this news, these three groups attacking him, and he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. And then kind of fast forward, let me show you what he prays actually. What he prays, he says this, starting in verse 6, he says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? Are you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. And going on later, he says, if calamity comes upon us, whether sword of judgment or plague or famine, we'll stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name. We'll cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. It's time to pray. Imagine, you know, imagine if, like, like we can pray like that. To, to pray to God to say, hey, I'm feeling alone right now, God. Help me. Help me. Like, that's okay to pray. It's to say a word, to be brutally honest. Words of help. To say, I, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know how to handle this. Where is this going, God? Like, like prayer is a powerful exchange. Um, and it's powerful, yes, yeah, sometimes the situation changes. Not all the time. But it's even more powerful because prayer changes us. It changes us. Um, there's a, there was a study that was done a couple years back um, by this um, lady, this doctor, Dr. Caroline Leaf is her name. And uh, let me give you her background, her title. She is a, okay, ready? Communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist with a master's and PhD in communication pathology and a BSc in logopedics, specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neuro neuropsychology. Whatever that is, right? Okay, but anyway, she did a study. Okay, she's a smart person, very smart person. She did a study. Um, and she did a research study that found that, get this, this is really interesting, 12 minutes, 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. So they did a pre and a post Measurement, they did a brain MRI, and they saw activity in areas of the brain that, that instead of anxiety, were kind of like, like very peaceful. Um, so 12 minutes of prayer over eight weeks changed the brain to an extent that it'd be measured on a brain scan. So think about that. Like, not only does prayer connect us to God, it maybe change our perspective, change us, but prayer actually can change the chemistry of your brain. There's other studies that have shown this. That, that it's a very powerful thing, and, and it's an exciting thing because that means that our brains are not fixed. It's not fixed, that our brains can change. And I don't know about you, but there's sometimes, like, my brain, it'll be running off, like, over here, and it'll be, like, going down that road for, like, like it feels like hours and hours and hours, and sometimes my brain likes to camp out there, too, <laughs> or it likes to run circles and circles around the same thing over and over. Maybe you can relate. It feels like, like there's hamsters going on in your brain, but, but this shows me that that can change, that can be changed. And the fancy term for this scientifically is neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity that, that we talked about last week, how our thoughts and the little connections between parts of our brains are kind of like paving new roads. And the more we travel down those roads, the more easy it becomes to travel down those roads. And, and when it comes to anxiety, there's actually a little part in our brain 
and you've probably heard this before, called the amygdala, the amygdala, and it's kind of like the fight or flight response that comes there. And this is a little part of your brain that when something goes wrong, when you see something wrong, it goes like, alarm, alarm, like once again, flashing lights, that. And, and this is the reason why if you're going camping or you're like walking in the woods, this is the reason why the first thought that crosses your mind when you hear a rustle in the bush is not, it's a bunny. This is the reason why you think it's the murderer or the bear, right? Your first, that's why your brain goes there. It, it helps protect you. But the problem is when we start to use the alarm too much, the overactive alarm. Um, the, the church I, I served before I came here to Table Life, um, we had an alarm problem. There were some alarms, like uh, the, the uh, fire alarm in a building. It was like a huge, huge building. And we kept having this problem that the thing kept going off and off and off and off. <laughs> and it was so disruptive. And I had to go and like put the little code in the thing and then like go off or call the, the fire company. And it just like, it got so annoying because it wasn't really indicating anything wrong that was going on. It was just the alarm kept going off over and over. And, and so, like, along those lines, we look back to Scripture, we see that in Scripture, the word that often is translated anxiety, um, especially in the New Testament Scriptures, is this, this Greek word merimeo, merimeo, and it literally means dwelling, like living, camping out, or pondering on fearful or anxious thoughts, going to the worst thing rather than the real thing. That, that we actually can train our brains, that the Greek thought was like training your brain, camping out in that place of anxiety. And this just gives me a, a second here also to admit that there, there are chemical imbalances that happen in our brain, that there's chronic chemical anxiety, but that's the cause by the same thing, is that those, those pathways are triggered over and over and over again, and sometimes you need a little boost, a little change to those chemicals in there. But, but the thing is, no matter what, though, prayer, though, Prayer begins to break the cycle. And I think this goes for wherever you are on that anxiety spectrum. Prayer begins to break that cycle. And Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, he goes there. And I have to say this, I love how honest he gets. You know, there, scripture is full of stories and, and, and tales of people that have uh, just great honesty with how they're feeling to God. And I feel like we can do the same thing. And he, he says this, he says, for we have no power. We have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. I mean, ever feel that way? It's just too much? Or, or you just don't have what it takes? You have no power? You feel poor and powerless? That you say, I need you, God, that I cannot do this alone. I'm seeking you. And let me say this, that if it's big enough to be anxious about, it's big enough to pray about. If it's big enough to be anxious it's big enough to pray about. And that goes back to the idea that anxiety is not a sin. It's a signal. Instead of keeping going down that mental path, to just pause and to take time to pray. And so, so you pray, and then what, right? That's kind of the question. You pray, like, okay, now what kind of thing? Well, I know for me, that's the time that I kick in to start using my spiritual gift of manipulation and taking control. And I tell God, I am now taking things into my own hands, and I am making my decision. And that's how to fix it, right? Wrong. Okay, that's probably not the best thing to do. But to pray, but then the second thing is, the second step is to pause. To pause. 
So look at what Jehoshaphat does after his prayer. He says this, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then we're told all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones, and little ones stood there before the Lord, stood there, paused, paused. And I get it. There's some of us that are activators or maximizers or we're the doers, right? We want to get her done. And our kind of motto is the don't just stand there, do something, right? Don't just stand there, do something. You know, mom is in the house. You're like that too. Like, stop standing there. Pick that up. Like, clean up after yourself. But, you know, but there are times, there are times it's best to flip that. Don't just do something, stand there. Don't just do something just to do something, but stand there. Resist the urge to jump in. And so this, for some of you that have been with us over the weeks, this may sound contrary to the um, message I preached a couple weeks ago about marking time and just kind of staying in space and not doing anything. But the difference is that in this situation, you're not avoiding doing something. Instead, you're being still looking for direction, looking for help, looking for, tr- and trusting that God is hearing you and he heals and he cares. And for some of us, we have to dare to sit in the discomfort a little while without just acting and, and doing right away. I mean, Psalm 46, 10, one of my favorites, be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. Instead of wanting to, to fix it or I have all the ideas and I want to change, like to say, just let me be still. Let me pause. Let me listen. And so you might be saying, well, you know, well, then did God heal my anxiety? Uh, and I said before, like, this is very complex. This is complicated. And there are some times that, that anxiety decreases. Or, uh, but, but sometimes it's a process. Sometimes because it's so important to pause, it just takes some time. You know, sometimes you pause And sometimes you go and start reading the Bible and there's something that stands out to you or begins healing your mind. Or or you hear a message that, hey, maybe I just need to sit with that for a little while. Or maybe you, you call up a trusted friend and you have a conversation. It takes time to do those things. You know, some of us, um, like I said last week, some of us need to change our diet so our body chemistry works better. And then we get nutritious food instead of junk food. Some of us, it takes time to find a doctor who recognizes that maybe the brain chemicals need a little bit of of a push, or that that maybe an appointment with a therapist is is really needed to help to discover trauma from the past that's kind of re-triggering that amygdala. And, And maybe it's really not about the nosy neighbor or the problem or your mom's weird text to you at midnight or whatever the situation was that has drawn up anxiety, that maybe you need to revisit those things. That when we're anxious, we have to be very careful of jumping right in. It takes time. And that, it's important to pause. And what's interesting in this story is that while they waited, while they waited, we're told that the Spirit of the Lord came upon this, this other guy, this, this, this friend of the king, Jehaziel. Jehaziel, and, and he says this, um, moving on to, to verses 15 to 17, he said, Jehaziel said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is a message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. The battle is not yours, but God's. Let me just pause there. Maybe that's all you needed to hear today. The battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you'll find them at the end of the gorge on the desert of Jeruel. 
And you'll not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And maybe that's the word for you. It's for you right now, for someone who doesn't know what to do, maybe it's to know that anxiety is not a sin. It's a signal alerting you that it's time to pray. It's time to pause. And most importantly, it's time to praise. It's time to praise. Because the story doesn't end there with that message or even any kind of battle. Because Joseph, he does something really weird. And I have to say this, I've never served in the military. Um, but in my limited knowledge of warfare, he does something that I never would have done in a million years. What he did was he sent the worship team ahead of the army. The weapons were instruments. So, so I'd say like our guys up here, like, like go get them, Ben. Maddie, yeah, take your guitar, like, Maddie, go take your bass, like, Maria, pick up that piano, like, you know, we're just, like, that, that might hurt somebody, but, um, but anyway, go get them and tell them and sing to them and tell them they're blessed, right? They think I'm absolutely crazy, right? But that's what he does, in effect, that, that he basically sends the worship team ahead, taking a risk, taking a risk, and think about that that sometimes we have to take that risk. We may think, oh, well, that won't work. The doctor won't help. Nothing's going to change. I'm just going to keep thinking and feeling this way. But what happened for them, it was like a miracle. It was like a miracle that when they did that, the enemy armies, guess what they did? The three of them, they turned on one another. And they fought one another to the death. And they destroyed themselves without ever having to have Joseph enter into the battle. Think about that. Think about that, that they praised before they entered into a battle. It's easy to praise after, right, when you get the victory. But what about before? What about before? You know, I mean, it's easy to praise, you know, when the victory is yours and, like, you know, you've beaten the enemy and you're like, praise God from whom all dead bodies flow, right? You know, that's, kind of, that's kind of gross. Sorry. Sorry about that. But it's easy to do that when you're like, yes, I beat them. Yes, I won. Yes, it's over. Yes, that's destroyed. But it's hard to do it before, but it's amazing how praise works when it comes before. And you know this, because you're, you're weak. Your week is different when you start it here with praise. You're, you're different. When, when you start with worship and when you don't. When, when you enter into a situation having prayed and processed and, and maybe even turn on some worship music beforehand, that it changes your mind. The anxious thoughts are even changed. So I want to read to you what happened after this, which was unplanned in this situation. So wrapping up verses 29 to 30, the fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. Rest, a gift the gift of rest, that he gives rest. And so just kind of drawing this to a close here, friends, that I think it's important for us to realize that anxiety is not the end. Anxiety is not the end. That, that wherever you are in that anxiety spectrum, that it's time to pray, it's always time to pause, and always, most always, time to praise. And it's a process. And, and it takes practice in our minds paving new paths um, but, but also to realize that we, sometimes we need help to do so, to get the help that we need to do. 
And maybe that's professional help. Maybe it's friend help. Maybe it's the body of Christ's help in the, in the church. But to recognize that we can fight this battle with God's help and with others that God has put in our paths to help. And, and just like Jehoshaphat, you may have the perfect storm. And your first instinct may be to rush in and to take up the swords. But maybe, and it may look like you're surrounded, but that's where it's time to seek God's face. To be reminded that, yes, you may be surrounded, but you're also surrounded by God. You're also surrounded by God. So anxiety is not the end. And I think it's important to go back to that, those verses from Philippians that we read at the beginning of the message today. Because Paul, who wrote them, he continues. He continues. We usually stop and just say, don't be anxious. And he says this, don't be anxious about anything, but... In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.